Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Epistle to the Ephesians, and we want to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Please follow along as I read. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Let's pray once again together. Father, as we sung a moment ago, we turn now to wisdom, not our own. We turn to the Scriptures. We pray that you, the God of the Scriptures, would come in power as your word is opened up. And as we reflect on the words of Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10, come in power, Lord, and reveal your word to us. Reveal your will to us and show us the truth of the Bible. In powerful ways, we ask in Christ's name, amen. After the past couple of weeks, which were spent elsewhere, in the scriptures, we return today to our study of the book of Ephesians. We're currently in a series in these morning services on the epistle to the Ephesians. And we come today to a very well-known and beloved text in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Now, a few weeks ago, we were in the opening verses of Ephesians chapter 2. We were in verses 1 through 3. And in those verses, we considered the state of the human race outside of Christ. We saw in those verses that uh, mankind, apart from Christ, is dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, That they are following the course of this world. That they're under the dominion of Satan. And that they are subject to the wrath of God. Paul refers to those outside of Christ as children of wrath. The human race is dead in sin, apart from Christ. And then wonderfully, the following week, we considered verses 4-7. through Uh, The wonderful words that start that section in verse 4, but God. And we considered how God uh, breaks in into the darkness and into man's sinfulness and brings redemption and brings life. And those who were dead in trespasses and sins, God made alive through the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who were under the dominion of Satan, God seated with Christ in heavenly places. Those who were subject to the wrath of God now have the hope of eternal life through what Jesus has done. One of the most glorious passages in all of Scripture, Ephesians 2, 4 and following. Uh, verse 7 
uh, represents a bit of a transition. Let's read verse 7 again together, which we considered as part of our sermon on verses 4 through 7 a few weeks ago. Verse 7 says that this great work of redemption, God coming and making dead sinners alive in Christ, He did this, verse 7, so that in the coming ages He might show or display the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 is getting at this idea that this great work of redemption, uh, this great work of reconciling uh, formerly dead sinners to the Lord Jesus Christ and making them alive together with Jesus, uh, this work apparently was for a purpose. And that purpose, according to verse 7, was so that these people who were dead in their trespasses and sins and following the course of this world under the dominion of Satan and subject to the wrath of God, who have now been made alive, the whole purpose of all of this was so that they might be trophies of God's grace. It was meant to be a wonderful display of what God does by His grace in the life of dead, sinful people. It's meant to be the glory of God. Now, wonderfully, it is true that all those who are saved in Jesus Christ are saved for their good and for their eternal happiness. But the Bible teaches that the ultimate purpose of the work of redemption, the ultimate purpose of God in Christ saving sinners, is that it would all be to the glory of God and to the praise of His glorious grace. God is for God in the work of redemption. He's for all those who He saves. But this is about men and women being saved and converted through the gospel, being trophies of God's grace, so that throughout all eternity they might be a display, a picture of the matchless grace of God and what it can do in the life of a formerly dead, sinful person who's made alive together with Christ. That's what we're to see in verse 7. But now it's a sort of this transition that takes place here. That's where we're left at the end of verse 7. Now we come into verses 8 through 10. And, and what is Paul going to do in these verses? Well, he's going to explain to us why it is, how it is, that the work of redemption that God has done in Christ could be understood as being a display of the grace of God. How is it that God gets all the glory for this salvation? How is it that, that we are understood to be a display of His grace? That's what Paul is going to expound for us in verses 8 through 10. He's going to explain why it is that salvation brings glory to God and not chiefly to man. Let's look at those verses, verses 8 through 10. How is it that God gets all the glory? It's because of this, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, it be no surprise to you that I have three points this morning, three headings as we open up this text. The first is the ground of salvation. We want to see the ground of salvation. Secondly, the instrument of salvation. And then thirdly, the result of salvation. The ground of salvation, the instrument of salvation, and the result of salvation. First of all, look with me the ground of salvation, it's found in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Why is it that God gets all the glory in human salvation? It's because salvation is all of God's grace. The ground of salvation is the grace of God. 
Now, what is grace? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, Kids, I wonder if you remember the the definition I gave you for what grace is. Could you tell me what grace is if I asked you? We define it this way, children. Grace is undeserved favor. It's unearned kindness. That's what what grace is. Uh, Grace is favor or kindness or blessing that's shown to you when it's undeserved. Okay? And so we used this analogy, this example, this, this illustration a few weeks ago. I'll change it a little bit as the season is about to change here. But uh, if, if uh, imagine, uh, as it's going to be fall here soon and the leaves are going to fall, my house is covered with really tall, full trees with lots of leaves, which means there's a lots, lots of work ahead of me. Okay? And suppose fall comes and the leaves fall. And I'll just tell you that the chore I hate the most is raking leaves. I just, I've never liked it. Okay? And suppose I say to one of you kids, and, and this is becoming less and less hypothetical as I size up the amount of work that has to be done. Suppose I said to one of you kids, or a couple of you, I want you to come over, and I want you to rake my yard, and I'll pay you 50 bucks to do it. Okay? I'll pay you $50 to come to my house and just rake up all the leaves into one big pile, put those leaves in bags, and take them out by the street to be thrown out. Okay? Well, suppose you do come over, and, and you're out there, and you rake up all the leaves, then you come back to my door, you knock on the door, Mr. Alex, I'm finished. I said, great, here's $50. Is me giving you that $50, is that grace? Well, the answer would be no, okay? Because you earned that money. You did the work. You, you gave this output. You came and raked up my leaves, and in reward for what you've done, I've given you $50. Well, that's not grace. That's giving someone what they're earned. Now, suppose that I just came to your house in the middle of the week, uh, you hadn't done anything, I, but I, I come to your house and I say, hey, I, I brought a gift for you. Just thinking of you and I wanted to just give you this gift. Now that would be grace. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to, to, to earn that gift. But rather, I just wanted to bless you and so I brought you this gift. That's something of what grace is like. Well, kids, what I want you to understand is this. In Ephesians chapter 2, this man Paul is writing to these Ephesians. And he wants them to understand. He wants these people to understand that the reason they're saved is not a result of their work. It's not because they earned it. The reason that they get to have heaven with the Lord Jesus and paradise forever and eternal life and all the blessings of salvation is not because they were smart enough or because they worked really hard or because they earned it. The Bible teaches, this man Paul is teaching us here in this text, that salvation is all of God's grace. He gives it to us as a free gift. And it's not only that we didn't earn the grace of God, it's that we actually earned his punishment, his judgment, his wrath. And yet even though through our sins we earned the wrath of God, he's willing to pour out his grace upon us and save us and change us and make us new in Jesus and to bring us to heaven with him forever. That's grace. And he's willing to do that for you, each one of you, even if you sinned your whole life long and you still continue to sin, he's, he's willing to save you by His grace. Apart from any works or effort that you put into it, He's willing to save you if you'd come to Him in faith. That's how grace works. Paul is telling us that salvation from beginning to end is all of grace. The ground of our salvation is the grace of God. And he really emphasizes this point with four statements in our text. If you look again at verses 8 and 9, first he says, For by grace you have been saved. And then he emphasizes it further. He he wants to make clear to the Ephesians, this is not of your own doing. It wasn't a result of your output. 
Uh, you didn't earn your place into the favor of God. It wasn't your own doing. Apparently someone else acted on your behalf. Then you have this third statement. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is not earned wages. It's not something that you qualify yourself for. It's a gift of God. And then the fourth statement, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Uh, often, if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, usually when he uses that term works, uh, he attaches some more words to it. He talks about works of the law. We're saved apart from, excuse me, apart from works of the law. And normally what Paul means when he uses that phrase, works of the law, normally he's referring to works done in obedience to the Mosaic Covenant. You know the Mosaic Covenant, okay? Uh, The covenant that God made with Moses, some of those Old Testament prescriptions um, about uh, diet, about clothing, about uh, uh, civil law, ceremonial law. When Paul talks about works of the law, he's usually referring to works of obedience to Mosaic prescriptions, to the Mosaic Covenant. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. He doesn't include those two words of, or those three words of the law. He says, your salvation is not a result of works. Keep in mind, he's writing to primarily Gentile Christians. These are people who knew nothing about the Mosaic Covenant. In fact, in a few verses, I believe in verse 11 or 12, he talks about how, how these people were formerly strangers to the covenants. They apparently did not know the Mosaic Covenant. But he tells them here, still, your salvation is not a result of works. What is it that he's referring to? Well, I think we should understand this term here to be just general good and godly behavior, moral conduct, moral uprightness, works of righteousness, works of morality, works of upright ethical conduct. And Paul is saying you're not saved on the basis of those things. You're not saved by good behavior. You're not saved by your uh, ability to obey God's law. You're not saved as a result of works, of morally upright conduct. Well, what is Paul trying to convey in these verses to these Ephesians? In effect, he's saying, uh, you Ephesians, who were formerly dead in trespasses and sins, formerly under the dominion of Satan, formerly subject to the wrath of God, and now have been made alive through what God has done in Christ, don't get any cute ideas. You were not saved because of your good works. You did not earn your sanctified status as a child of God. You did not earn a space in God's love and His mercy and His kindness towards you. This isn't a result of your past record. It's not a result of your works. Don't get any smart ideas. You didn't qualify yourself to be here. And I can say the same thing to each one of us here today who are in Christ. You are not here as a child of God and someone who is seen covered in the blood of Christ because of your ability uh, to put out, to do good to maintain a righteous record, to keep the code, to keep the law. You're here only on the basis of God's grace. And that's what Paul wants to convey to these Ephesians. All these wonderful spiritual blessings we have been adopted by God and we've been sanctified and we've been brought in united to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this seal of the Spirit. That was all a result of the unilateral, gracious action of God. You did not earn a place in God's affections. It's all the result of the grace of God. Salvation from beginning to end is all the result of grace. Now some of us here, I imagine, uh, appropriately so, are perhaps very used to earning things. Um, I think we have some overachievers in the room. 
Uh, I'm tempted to ask you to raise your hand if, if you're one of those overachievers in the family that all the other siblings can't stand, you know, because you always are uh, uh, doing better than, than everyone else. But I imagine we have some overachievers here. And, and you're conditioned to earning things. Maybe, man, you kept the 4.0 through high school. You kept that GPA. And uh, you earned that scholarship. Or that acceptance letter to the school of your choice. Man, you worked hard for that. And you got a, a, man, a great SAT score, ACT score, and you earned it, you got in. Maybe you excelled in your particular degree program, and, and you came out summa cum laude or something like that. And, uh, and then you got into the profession of your choice, and you, you qualified for the right job. And uh, you just excelled in your profession, and just overachieved at every step. And you're just used to, at every single step of your life, to earning the next thing. Many of us may know what it's like. We have some great thing we want to achieve and we really strive after that goal and work and we know what it is to sit upon hours and hours and hours and hours of work and then to accomplish the goal. It's like, oh, this feels so good. I really earned this. I achieved this. I accomplished this. That's a familiar feeling, I think, for a lot of us in the room. And it's not always an unholy feeling. There are things it's appropriate to say. We, we do earn certain things. If you work hard and you achieve the goal, there's a reason to celebrate that. Uh, a good work ethic is something to be striven after. It's something to be uh, laid hold of and to emulate. And it's good to accomplish things uh, as a result of our work. But because of our tendency to want to earn things, to accomplish things, and for many of us to have great success in doing that at every stage, our hearts can be conditioned to think that everything that's good in life is earned. I have to do something. I gotta, I gotta make the grade. I gotta earn the promotion. I have to uh, get my child in the best school. I gotta graduate them with the highest GPA and see that they're, they're landed in the best college. I have to achieve, I have to earn. And, and we could be conditioned to think that everything that we have in life that's good is a result of our own working, result of our own ability to, to work hard and to make the grade. It's not so with our salvation. Whatever might be true in school or work or any other sphere of life, it's not true in our salvation. Salvation is not a matter of making the grade. It's not something we earn by our works. It's not, man, if we could just accumulate a strong enough resume, uh, we'll be considered or qualified for God's grace. It's all of God's grace from beginning to end. I think some of us need to hear that because our hearts are so conditioned to think. My status depends my ability to achieve, my ability to work hard. It's not so in the Christian life. The gospel teaches that salvation from beginning to end is all of God's grace. Now, I think this appears to many, actually, as a real stumbling block to embracing the gospel. I think there are really kind of two angles that people come at this who, who see the sort of the, the, the scandal of God's grace as a reason to pass up on the Christian faith and reject the gospel. First of all, there is that group that views it as such a scandal. Salvation is all of grace. You're saying that, that I don't have anything to do with it, that I don't uh, contribute my works in any way. That's, that's a scandal to me. That can't be so. God can't operate that way. You're telling me the vilest offender who truly believes that moment a pardon from Jesus receives? Give me a break. They're kind of like um, the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember the older brother? Uh, you have these two brothers that are in the home. And uh, the, the younger brother decides he wants his inheritance early and he, he leaves his father's house. He goes out and lives this profligate lifestyle and in debauchery and licentiousness. And he finds himself, having wasted all his money, eating 
food from a pig's trough, and he thinks, man, if I could just go back to my father's house, I'd be willing to be a, an indentured servant. I, I'd even be willing to be a slave if he just let me in the door. And so the, the younger brother comes back, and his father's on the front porch looking for him. And he won't even wait for his son to get to the door. He runs out to this prodigal son who's come home, and he embraces him. And he puts new robes on his son. He kills the fatted calf. He invites all his friends for this celebration of the son who has gone home. And remember the elder brother. Are you kidding me? You kidding me, Dad? I'm in your house uh, serving you sun up to sun down. I never asked for my inheritance early. I, I, I obeyed the rules. I kept the code. I honored you. I didn't go out and do all the stuff that this guy did. And you're just going to take him back? That's scandalous. You can't behave that way. Such grace will not be abided. I will not accept that you could operate on the basis of such grace. It's a scandal to him. It's offensive to him. And listen, that's a natural human impulse for a lot of people. I think there are millions of people who pass up on the Christian message because they can't handle the scandal of this grace. You're saying it's not a result of my ability to get my act together? It's not a result of my ability to keep the rules? All right, maybe it's God's grace is part of it, but, but my works, it's, it's God's grace plus. I mean, surely I have to contribute something to my salvation. I cannot believe a faith that offers this sort of uh, promiscuous, scandalous grace of God. And then Ephesians 2, 8-9 through 9, comes like a torpedo and blows that objection out of the water and says it is for, by grace that you've been saved. Through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of your works. So that no one may boast. Salvation is all of grace. But then you have maybe another objection. And this is the person who sees this message. That salvation is all a result of grace. And they think that's, that's just too good to be true. I can't believe that. Not because it's offensive. I just can't believe that there is a God out there who would act that way. These are people who are keenly aware of their sinful lifestyle. And they are usually the sorts of people that confuse believing the gospel with getting your act together. And they think, you know, I'm just, I've done so much wrong in my life. I, I can't get religious now. God would never accept me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know all the ways that I've disqualified myself. Well, these words in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 should come with immeasurable comfort to that soul. What are, you, what are you worried about that you've done? It's for by grace that you're saved. It's only through faith. It's not a result of your works. It's not about your works. Were you dead in your trespasses and sins? you feel like you were just serving Satan your whole life, just following the course of this world? Yes, so were the Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. That's the gospel message. It's by grace that we're saved. I love this quote from the old minister John Brown. He wrote, quote, No degree of previous guilt, no former habits of sin, no secret decree of God, no involuntary mistake, no feebleness in attempting to come to him will induce him to reject a single individual who in the faith of the truth comes to him for salvation. No one is disqualified from coming to God in faith to receive the grace of God. Children, you need to hear this. You can come to Jesus Christ today, even as a child, and know the grace of God through faith, through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we move on to our next point, there's just one more thing I want to say on this issue of grace being the grounds of our salvation. 
primarily to those of you who are Christians here. I just have a sense there's someone in the room who needs to hear this today. We need to remember, we need to continually be reminded that salvation is all of grace from beginning to end. You're saved by grace when you're first converted. And on the last day, you will stand covered in the grace of God. It's not as though uh, we're brought in by grace, but we're maintained by our works and our ability to perform. It's not as though grace lets you in the door, but your ability to obey the law keeps you in the house. No, when you stand in glory, and like the evangelism explosion people used to instruct us to ask, when God says, why, why should I let you into my heaven? It's not going to be, well, you know, you saved me by grace back in 1995, and then since then I really kept the code. I mean, I really, really obeyed your law. I did my best. You know, I, I loved my spouse well. I did my best to raise my kids well. I was at church, you know, 80 to 90% of the time. I mean, you know, I, I did a good job. And it's going to be, Lord, I'm here in your presence because I've been saved by grace. Not a result of my works, because of the gift of God through Christ. And I'm pleading that same grace now that I pleaded when I first came. You know, we're saved by grace, and we're maintained by grace. We continue in grace. God continues to operate with His children on the basis of grace, such that the ground of our salvation, from beginning to the end, is the matchless grace of God. Well, so much for the ground of our salvation. The ground of our salvation is the grace of God. Now, secondly, I want you to see the instrument of salvation. And we'll be more brief on this point. Look again at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. What do I mean by the instrument of salvation? The instrument here comes to us in these words, through faith. How is it that the grace of God comes to us? How is it that salvation comes to us? Paul says it's through faith. That's the instrument of our salvation. That is the channel of God's blessing. That's the means by which salvation comes to us. It's through faith. Maybe it's helpful if we contrast it with another hypothetical channel, which could be our works. We're not saved through our works. That's not the instrument of our salvation. That's not the means by which we receive salvation in Christ. It is through our faith. Well, one says, well, see here, here's my contribution. Here's my work. See, I have to have faith. That's what I do. So it is. It is grace plus. I have to do the work of faith. I have to believe. I have to have this great ability to have faith in God. Well, that is in so many ways ridiculous. That is like uh, if you could imagine uh, that you can't swim and you're out in the lake or something like that and, and, and you've fallen into the lake and you're drowning and you're flailing about. And someone uh, from the dock throws you a rope. And it lands right in front of you. And they say, grab this. I'm going to save you. And you grab the rope and they pull you up. And here you are recounting that story later. That Man, I almost almost drowned today. Uh, But then someone came and threw me a rope and saved me. Uh, It was just unbelievable. I I could have died today, but then I got saved. um, But really, uh, the big part of this story is that I had the foresight to grab that rope. Man, I mean, that's, I'm really the true hero of this story. I mean, he threw the rope. I could have just kept flailing about and just, you know, uh, uh, just ignored it. But, man, I had, I had the wisdom, the wherewithal to reach out my hand and grab that rope. And, man, I really did save myself today. 
I really had to make a real contribution here, right? Well, that's obviously silly, right? Faith is a matter of believing. As John Calvin said, faith is like a child coming with an empty cup to God and receiving living water. The instrument of our salvation is that little cup, that empty cup that I bring to Christ, trusting that He can fill it. I think of this often. When I think about coming to God by faith, when I think about coming to God, even in morning worship, I'm coming with my empty cup of water. As a helpless, starving, thirsty little child, I'm saying, please do it again. Fill my cup. I'm coming in faith that you have the living water that could fill my cup. Curtis Vaughn says this, Salvation is by grace, but it is also through faith. But this statement does not teach that faith is a meritorious ground or procuring cause of salvation. It asserts rather that faith is the appropriating means. It is the hand that receives the gift. The word signifies trust and reliance upon. John Calvin says, Faith brings a man empty to God, that he may be filled with the blessings of Christ. Charles Hodge says, Faith is the simple act of accepting, and not the ground on which salvation is bestowed. Faith here is an instrument of salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. This is the channel through which God's salvation comes to us. And it's a matter of opening your hand. Does it mean you contribute to your salvation? It means I believe you and my hand's open to receive the gift. I'm trusting you can deliver. My cup is here held out to you and I'm trusting that you can fill it up. That is faith. Faith is the matter of accepting and believing that God's grace will see you through. What's the application for us in understanding faith as the instrument of salvation? First of all, if salvation is a matter of us receiving God's grace through faith, there's no room for boasting. And this seems to be the issue for Paul. He talks about boasting a lot in his epistles. He's concerned that we give all glory to God for our salvation. And he says, well, if if faith is received through works as the instrument of salvation, well, you have something to boast about. I grabbed the rope. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. But if salvation is a result of faith, well, there's no room for boasting. Brothers and sisters, we have nothing to boast about. I hope that it is so foreign to our hearts, the sort of attitude that says, well, you know, my brothers or sisters or or my cousins or my coworker, man, they just couldn't get their act together. They really wanted to just uh, go after their sin and they didn't believe. But I did. I paid attention in church. See, I didn't go off like all the other rebellious teenagers. I, you know, I, I could have perhaps entertained uh, other relationships with people outside my marriage, but I stayed the course. And that's why I'll stand at the last day. I hope that attitude is foreign to us. When we stand before Christ, there will be no cause for boasting of salvation as a result of God's grace through faith. But there's a second application for us. If faith is the instrument of our salvation, very simply... We must have faith. If we're going to receive the grace of God, we have to believe. The Bible does not teach uh, that God's grace covers the sins of every man and woman in the world. But God's grace is freely offered to every individual, however old or young, male or female, regardless of background, if you come to Christ in faith. Grace is offered freely to you. 
You'll just stick out your hand in faith and trust that God will give you the gift of salvation. He will save you. That's the message of the gospel. Salvation is by grace through faith. And if you want the grace of God, if you want the salvation that's offered in Jesus Christ, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Thirdly and finally, we've seen the ground of our salvation, which is the grace of God. Secondly, we've seen the instrument of our salvation, which is faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And now thirdly, the result of salvation. Please look with me again at verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 10, we want to look at now. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is the result of salvation? What is the salvation of these sinful men and women, dead in sin, made alive in Christ? What does it actually accomplish? What has Christ procured in drawing these sinful people into union with himself? Well, first of all, the statement is given that we are his workmanship. Those who have been created new in Christ Jesus are His workmanship. This is an interesting phrase. The Greek word is poema. It literally means like masterpiece uh, or, or something like a, a work of art. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. Again, Curtis Vaughn is helpful here. He says the word workmanship might be used for a work of art, a poem, a masterpiece. All about us we see the works of God's hands. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth its handiwork, Psalm 19.1. But God's greatest work, His masterpiece, is a new creature in Christ Jesus. You know, it's interesting to me sometimes when we are reading the Genesis accounts of creation, we talk about how God made the sky, He made the land, He made the sea, He made the animals, He made the sun and the moon, made the stars in the sky... And sometimes you'll hear preachers or theologians say something like this, but the, the pinnacle of God's creation was man and woman. It was when God made Adam and Eve, that was the pinnacle, that was the fulcrum of God's creative action. And I know why people say that, but that's actually false. The fulcrum, the pinnacle, the greatest display of God's creative action is men and women who were dead in their sin, made alive, created anew in Jesus Christ. It's the new humanity. It's the new creation. That is the pinnacle of God's creative activity. That's his masterpiece. One might say it's easier to form man from the dust of the ground. It's harder to form a new creature in Christ who's zealous after good works out of a man who was formerly dead in his trespasses and sins. The pinnacle of God's creation. The masterpiece is this new creation in Christ Jesus of men and women brought to life from death. Isn't that an amazing, profound thought that those of you who are in Christ, you're considered God's masterpiece. You're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose did God create us anew in Christ Jesus? For what purpose did He create this new masterpiece, this workmanship? Well, we're told it's for good works. We've been created for good works that we should walk in them. And at this point, I think it's important to acknowledge the importance of prepositions. 
The church has debated throughout history, uh, what is the place of good works in the Christian life? How do we understand the place of good works? Uh, do they form part of our merit? Um, are they necessary? Is it important for Christians to obey the law? How do we understand the relationship between the Christian and good works? Well, I think Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is remarkably helpful in clearing some of that fog. Very simply, we are not saved by works. We're saved for works. Gotta love the precision of these prepositions. We're not saved by works or on the basis of works. We're saved for works. What does that mean? Good works are not the ground of our salvation. We can say that works are not the fruit of salvation. Excuse me. Good works are not the root of salvation. They're the fruit of salvation. God has created us for good works. We're not saved on the basis of them, but He wants us to walk in them now as new creatures. And the wonderful message of Ephesians 2.10 is that what was impossible before when we were dead in trespasses and sins is now gloriously possible. God has made it possible for men and women to walk and to lead lives of good works. Never as the grounds of our salvation. Never as the root of our salvation. Always as the fruit. God wants His people to walk in good works which God prepared beforehand. Works are not the root of salvation. They are the fruit. This comes out in other texts all throughout the New Testament. Titus 2.14 says this, that God gave Himself up, excuse me, Christ gave Himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what God wants in His people. This people that He's redeemed, Christ wants a people who are zealous for good deeds. Colossians 1, 9 through 10 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I mentioned some weeks ago that one of the great themes of the book of Ephesians is that God in Christ, is inaugurating a new moral order by which his people are to live. The way he often refers to this is the way in which God's people are to walk. So you have a statement in Ephesians 2, for example, that apparently these Ephesians formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now works in the sons of disobedience. That's what characterized their walk, which is a way of describing their general manner of life. They walked according to the course of this world. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul is going to say, Don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Don't, don't live your life out in that way. But then wonderfully, text like Ephesians 4, 1, he calls the Ephesians to walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of their calling. In chapter 5, he's going to tell them to walk in love, to walk by the Holy Spirit, to look carefully at the way you walk. And we have it here in our text. God prepared good works beforehand so that we would walk in them. We would live in them. That we would live in holiness and righteousness and sanctification. That we would truly be a people who are zealous for good deeds. People who bear fruit in every good work. That's God's will for us as His people. And we're never to look at those good deeds as the ground of our salvation. But it's this fruit we want to bear to the glory of Christ. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works as God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. I'd love to hear Paul's tone when he's presenting this letter. 
Um, I imagine this did not come as bad news to the Ephesians. These are people who, who were formerly dead in trespasses and sins, caught up in all sorts of idolatry, in all sorts of sexual immorality, in all sorts of uh, nefarious activity. Apparently there were those who were caught up in stealing and thievery. There were those that were caught up in vulgar speech. There were people that were going down and visiting temple prostitutes and all sort of perversion. But now they're told, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been made alive. And what was impossible before when you were dead in trespasses and sins is now possible. You can walk in good works. And it's not just possible. Apparently it's certain. Because what does the text say? These works have been prepared beforehand. We should walk in them. Apparently God has prepared each one of his people for good works. God has supplied the grace for his people to walk in good works. God apparently has prepared good deeds for each and every one of us who are in Christ to walk in. Which is a wonderful thought. Basically now, we just have to find out what those good deeds are. What has God called you to? What good works has God prepared beforehand that you would walk in? God has prepared good works for you to do, brother and sister. God has things He wants you to do in service to Christ. He wants you to be a person zealous for good works, and He has prepared beforehand good works for you that you should walk in them. So what are those good works? I love what Curtis Vaughn says again. Good works in the Christian life are not mere accidental attachments. They are a part of God's eternal plan for his people. We are created for them. They are ready for our doing. So I ask you, what good works has God prepared for you? Has God ordained? Has God purposed for you? Has God supplied the grace for you that you could serve mightily in his church? Has he prepared for you to raise Uh, godly children in the Lord? Has He prepared you to disciple someone else in the faith? Has He prepared you to speak the gospel to the lost? Has He prepared you to contribute in planting a new church? Has He prepared you as your good works to go to the mission field or to enter the ministry or to start an orphanage? God has prepared good works beforehand that we should walk in them. And I think it would be an appropriate prayer for each one of us here today to ask, Lord, what have you prepared for me? What good thing am I to do? I mean, some of that we know. We're to obey His law. We're to follow His commandments. But what good works am I to walk in? What have you prepared beforehand that I should do? What grace have you supplied that I could walk by faith and attempt great things for your kingdom? We're meant to walk in good works to the glory of Christ. This salvation is to be a display of the great grace of God to His glory. And he has determined that we as his workmanship, as his masterpiece in Christ Jesus, should walk in good works. Well, does that have applications for us? I mean, next time you're faced with temptation to sin, you know the act that's before you is decidedly wrong and sinful. Say to yourself, I'm Christ's workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. How can I do this thing? Let him who stole steal no longer. We don't need to be caught up in corrupt speech and vulgar language, but let's speak the truth to our brothers and to our sisters. We're meant to walk in good works, and that should fuel us and stimulate us and encourage us as we seek to live out the Christian life. I need to wrap up. Very quickly, I want to state three points of application. Three points of application for us. We've seen the ground of salvation, 
It's in the instrument of salvation and the result of salvation, people living out lives of good works. First point of application, brothers and sisters, having begun by grace, don't seek to continue in your own strength. Having begun by grace, don't seek to continue in your own strength. Remember, your salvation from beginning to end is all of grace. You look back this week on an unrighteous record. You look with shame on things that you've done this year. Things that you've contemplated doing. Sinful attitudes that you've uh, entertained. uh, Sinful temptations that you've indulged. Remember, salvation is not on the basis of your performance. You're saved by grace. And I urge you to go to God again and to know that grace anew. The way this so often looks, you, uh, take marriage for example, maybe you've had words with your spouse and you've communicated some sort of bitterness and, and, and you've not uh, guarded your tongue and your speech and you've hurt your spouse. And what do we do? Uh, we become prayerless for a couple days until we make things right with our spouse, right? What does that communicate? I can't go to God until I have at least a couple of good days and talk strung together a couple a few days of good record good performance i can't come to him now in the context of my sin what does that communicate communicates that salvation is a result of works it communicates that god's grace is conditional upon our ability to perform that's not the bible's message that's not the message of ephesians 2 8 through 10 we're saved by grace And we need to continue on the basis of grace and we need to recognize that god continues and is is determined to relate to us on the basis of His grace freely given to us in Christ. Second point of application. Recognize that one of God's purposes in saving you is so that you might live a life of good works. Recognize that one of God's purposes in saving you is so that you might live a life of good works. Brother or sister, God's will for you is that you walk in good works. God wants you to be holy. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 1. He wants us to be holy and blameless before Him in love. Christ is intimately, earnestly concerned about your, the way in which you walk. He's earnestly interested in your good works. Not because He's going to reward you with grace on the basis of your works. But if you're truly in Christ, if you're a new creature, if you're His masterpiece created in the Lord Jesus Christ... You will walk in lives of good works. We should be a people zealous for good deeds. We should be serious about growing in holiness. We should be passionate about accomplishing things for the kingdom. Because that's one of the reasons why the Lord Jesus saved us. That we would walk and live in lives of good works. Thirdly and finally, to each one of us here in Christ and those who are outside of Christ, maybe especially to those of you who have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, You need to know this, that a salvation, a salvation, which is the result of your works, is entirely out of your reach. Salvation that is a result of your ability to perform is out of your reach. A salvation that is a matter of reading the Bible carefully or memorizing the catechism or showing up to church or or trying to obey the best you can, that sort of salvation is out of your reach. If you're attempting to get at God on the basis of you being a a stand-up guy or girl or a good kid, you're going to fail. 
And for some of you, especially you kids, I'm concerned for you. That you don't get to that last day and stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say to him, um, I should be allowed into heaven because I went to Sunday school. I was a good kid. Um, I'm, I, I, I obeyed mom and dad. That's why I should be led into heaven. That's no basis for salvation. If that's what your hope is in, you're not going to be saved on the last day. A salvation which is the result of your obedience and your good works and your ability to be a, a good kid is no salvation at all. And it's out of your reach. But wonderfully, a salvation that is all the result of the grace of God through faith, that's within your reach even this morning. A salvation that is all of God's work in Jesus Christ that's offered to you as a free gift that only requires that you reach out your hand by faith in acceptance of the gift, that's within your reach right now. And these moments that follow as we sing this next song and as we meditate on the message, this afternoon when you go home, this night when you go to sleep, a salvation that's all of grace that requires only that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. A salvation that says, just grab the rope and you'll be saved. Just put out your cup and I'll fill it. That salvation is within your reach. And I charge you in the presence of Christ that this morning you come to Him in repentance and faith and receive this gift of God's grace in Christ Jesus by believing on Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have chosen in your kindness, to act towards sinners who believe on you on the basis of your grace. We would not have it any other way because we know that left to ourselves, we're dead in sin with no hope and without God in the world. Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege of knowing and conveying to others that salvation is all of grace from beginning to end. And we pray that you would help each person here, each man, woman, each boy and girl, Christian and not, believer and unbeliever, to call upon that grace today. For those of us who have already experienced the grace of God, help us to continue by grace through faith. And for those who have never believed, may they claim this grace that's found in Christ for the first time, the grace that saves, the grace that makes them new in Christ. May they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus today through faith and may they believe on Him. Help each child here to come with their empty cup to the Lord Jesus in the confidence that He can fill it with living water and save their needy soul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.